Today's scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 12. This passage can be found on page 10 of your bulletin and will be projected above. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Rachel. I appreciate it. Okay, uh, kids, if you want to grab your Trinity Kids Bulletin, uh, there are, there's a spot on there for you to jot down three things that I'm going to mention I want you to listen for. The first is LeBron James. Uh, secondly, social media. And the third is an illustration about cutting an apple. So LeBron James, social media, and cutting an apple. So with that, let me, uh, let me pray for us as we come to this passage together. Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, we take great comfort uh, knowing that you make these amazing promises to us that when your word is proclaimed among your people that it's not gonna return void and that it will actually accomplish what you desire. And so uh, we pray that that would happen today. We look confidently and expectantly to you that it would. Father, we need to, to hear of your son today. We need to know of his love, of his grace, of his kindness to us, and we need to see him today. And so that's what we pray. We ask it all in Christ's name, amen. Um, one of the things that uh, I've begun doing with our staff and leadership in, uh, in recent weeks is what I'll do is on a Tuesday, um, I will bring my sermon passage to our meeting, read it, and then ask a couple of questions. One, what stands out to you in this passage as an individual? And then secondly, what does our church need to hear from this passage? And so if you're wondering, that is actually my job. And yes, I'm asking them to help me do it, right? Um, they are writing my sermon for me in some respect. Um, so I did that last week uh, when our, our session and our women's shepherding team were meeting together. And uh, one of the phrases that, that Susan, our women's ministry coordinator, used when she was looking at this passage was about the importance of getting people in the right seat on the bus, Getting, the peop getting people in the right seat on the bus. And the first time that I'd ever heard that illustration is, uh, is from Patrick Lencioni's book, uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And so he uses that illustration to talk about organizations and businesses and, and even churches. And he says, you've got to get the right people on the bus, but just as importantly, you've got to put people in the right seats. And so the, the, the point is that everyone has different gifts, and ideally, you want people to be using those gifts in whatever it is that their, their job is. So, kids, here's what I want you to think about for a second. I want you to imagine uh, that you are the general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers, okay? 
And so you've got the responsibility uh, uh, over the entire team and organization. And so let's say you get this idea of kind of mixing things up a little bit. You wanna move people into different seats on the bus, okay? And so what you do is you decide, I'm gonna take the team doctor and I'm gonna switch him up with LeBron James. And so the team doctor is gonna play small forward and LeBron James is gonna become the team doctor, okay? So what happens if you make a move like that? Well, I, I don't know who the Lakers team doctor is, but I'm sure he or she is probably not as good as LeBron on the court, right? And then, I, I, no shade on LeBron at all, but he's not a doctor either, right? And so uh, the, the team at that point on the court is gonna be hurting, and then the players with injuries are literally gonna be hurting if you make a move like that, right? And so, so what happens is the entire organization suffers because you don't have people using their God-given gifts. And so that's somewhat of what we have in this passage from Paul in Romans 12. What he's saying here is that, that God, in his grace, has given every single member of the church a particular gift or a particular set of gifts, and, and, and there's no hierarchy here. Um, it's not as though one gift is more important than another. All are equally important for the church, and God intends for each of them to be used. Here's the problem, though. The problem can problems can arise when we either don't recognize our gifts or we just don't use our gifts. And there are a whole lot of different ways that that can happen. Uh, one that he mentions specifically in this passage, which is really interesting, is that we often think too highly of ourselves. And we might also add to that uh, or think too lowly of ourselves. And so that's some of what we're going to look at uh, in this passage this afternoon. So this is the second week in our fall series uh, that we're calling Embodying Gospel Community. And it's a series where we're looking at, at Romans 12 to, to 16. And we're asking this question of every passage as we make our way through it. How can we embody the gospel in our life together? And so here's how we'll answer it this week. We embody the gospel in our life together by humbly recognizing and using our God-given gifts for the good of the body. So by humbly recognizing and using our God-given gifts for the good of the body. So the question then uh, we're gonna ask is how do we do that? How can we become a community that, that serves in this way? So we'll answer this in, in three ways. The first is this. It's by leaning into humility. By leaning into humility. So Paul starts with this command in verse three and this is really the, the main command of this entire section. So here's what he says. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So, right from the start, it's pretty telling that Paul tells us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. In other words, this is something that, that this is exactly what will come naturally to us. And, and, and this actual tendency goes all the way back to Genesis 3 that this is actually a way in which we can talk about what the heart of sin really is. One way to describe sin is as an attempt to put ourselves in the place of God. It's inherently prideful. It's inherently thinking too highly of ourselves. And so what has happened since then is that that is our default setting. That you and I are, are prone then to always think too highly of ourselves, and if you have any doubts about this, all you need to do is take a look at your social media feed, right? Where it's this laundry list of examples of, of posturing, 
uh, of humble brags, uh, of any kind of pride that you can imagine. And Paul is saying, look, I know that this is what comes naturally. I know that this is what rises up in your hearts, but don't do it. Fight this temptation to think too highly of yourself. And so the question then is why? Why is it that we should do this? Why is it so dangerous for us to do this, especially when it comes to to, uh, these gifts that God has given to us? Again, lots of reasons. I'm gonna highlight a few. And one is this. It's often the case that if you and I think too highly of ourselves and our gifts, then it's very likely that we're gonna end up overcommitted and exhausted. And the reason for that is that we're trying to do everything because the thinking goes, I'm gonna be the one who's gonna do this best, therefore I need to do it. And you start assigning that to everything around the church. And of course, that's, that's not good for you, but it's really not good for others either. Because what, what, what that does is it deprives the opportunity of that gift of the, that other person being used in a particular way. And so it's also really bad for the church. Because God in his kindness has poured out a set of gifts to be used, even in this particular church. And if one or a set of us, a handful of us are trying to do everything, then it doesn't give an opportunity for those gifts to be used. So that's one reason. Another downside of this though, is that if you aren't aware of what your gifts actually are, then it could be that you end up serving in places that really frustrate you. Because you're doing the kinds of things that that aren't in line with the way that God has made you or even the the, the particular ways that that he's gifted you. Um, One one other uh, possibility is that it it could be that overcommitment isn't your problem. But that's not the place where you see this showing up. But it's not the only place you could see this though. Another telltale sign is that you find yourself constantly envying the gifts of others. You find yourself operating in this realm of comparison all the time, and even at sometimes like flat out competition. And so that may look like you actively competing against somebody else in in specific ways, but here's the other shape that can take. It could also look like you withdrawing. Now, why why is that? Well, because you start thinking, well, my gifts aren't aren't as good as hers. Or I can't do that as well as he can, so I I, I might as well not do anything at all. And so what what we've got to see here is that all of this flows from not having what Paul says is a sober-minded judgment of who God has made us to be and how he's, he's gifted us in specific ways. And so what Paul says is that we've got to lean into our humility and ask that question to take an honest assessment of how God has gifted us. So what, what does that kind of humility look like? How, how does this take shape? Well, I, I think sometimes when we hear the word humility, and then it's described in a way here where, where you think, okay, if thinking too highly of myself is the problem, then probably what I need to do is think less of myself. And maybe what I need to do is, is downplay my gifts in particular ways. The, the, the problem with that, though, is that that's not true humility either. What that is, is some kind of false modesty because even if you're trying to think less of your gifts, you're still not thinking with sober judgment. Paul's calling here for for an accurate assessment. And most of the time, if we go into the realm of false modesty, we're, we're, we're still thinking about ourselves. You're still consumed with you. So what is true humility? Well, C.S. Lewis is credited as saying this, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, It's thinking of yourself less. 
Now, the problem with that is that he didn't actually say that, right? It's a falsely attributed quote, but it's a great quote. It's true, right? Um, and so th- this true humility comes with an honest, sober-minded assessment of how God has made you in the way that he's gifted you. But he- here's the thing, though. The only way that that kind of honest self-assessment is possible is by recognizing and finding our identity, our identity to be found squarely in Jesus. That's the only place where you could ask a real question about an, an honest assessment of your strengths and weaknesses, of the particular gifts God's given you. So Tim Keller says it this way. He says, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me Yet I'm so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. That's what Paul's calling us to is leaning into the kind of humility that can, uh, that, that can judge with sober judgment our own lives, our own gifts. And so we fight then the tendency to, to think too highly of ourselves. So the question though is how can we do that? How can we fight this tendency to think this way? And so what Paul does is in the rest of the passage is give us a couple of answers to that question. So um, here's the second point. So we, we, come a, we become a community that serves in this way first by leaning into humility, secondly, It's by recognizing our unity, by recognizing our unity. So what Paul says is that the key, both to serving in the body in this way and in a way of helping us think rightly about ourselves is by recognizing our unity. And he does this by comparing the the, the church to a body. And of course, he does this in other passages as well, Ephesians 4 and and 1 Corinthians 12. But here's what he says uh, in Romans 12. Look at verse 4. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And so here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that that when you put your faith in Christ, what happens is that you yourself are united to Jesus in that moment. But there's something else that happens at that same time. It's that you are united to all other Christians, such that now the way Paul describes us is that we are united to one another so closely that he says, we are members one of another. And so the the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is part of our doctrinal standard as a church, has this great paragraph. I want you to look at it on the front cover of your bulletin. Um, So this is written in the 1640s, so some of the language is not the kind of language we're used to, but this is a beautiful paragraph of what Paul is saying. It says this, all saints that are united to Jesus Christ their head by his spirit and by faith have fellowship with him in his graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory. And being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce to their mutual good, both in their inward and outward man. So what the confession is saying here, following Paul, is that because we are united to one another in love, we actually share in one another's gifts and graces. We have communion in one another's gifts and graces. Okay, so why is this so important? 
Well, it's, it's so important because what it says is that our lives depend on one another. That we, we are so intimately connected that what happens to one part of the body happens to the entire body. So kids, I want you to think about this. Uh, imagine that you're cutting an apple with the permission of your parents, of course, always. And what happens when you're cutting that apple is you slice into your hand in a big way. Now, when that happens, it's not just that your hand cares about it at that point, right? Your entire body cares deeply about the fact that your hand was cut into in this way, right? And so that, that, that's some of what Paul is saying here. That in a similar way, when one member of the body is suffering, we all suffer. When one member of the body is rejoicing, we all rejoice. And that's actually where Paul goes in the next paragraph, which we'll look at next week. But just think for a moment about what this means for our gifts. So how does recognizing our unity as a body impact the way we think about our gifts? Well, so what Paul says in verse four is that we have many members and the members don't all have the same function. So what that means is that you don't have all the gifts that the body needs in order to be healthy. There are other gifts that the church needs besides yours to function in a healthy way. But here's the other thing it means though. It means that God has given you gifts that this body needs. And that although those, those, these gifts differ, which is what we're gonna see uh, in a moment here in verses seven and eight, every single one of them is necessary. And this is the point that Paul develops in a, in a big way in 1 Corinthians 12. We're not gonna read that now. I'd encourage you to go take a look at that uh, later this evening though, because he, he talks all about that. So um, I was thinking today some about this. One of the best examples that I can think of that, that um, we've seen in the last year or so in our church of this happening is with the purchase of our building. All of the different gifts that have gone into the, the, uh, the finding of the building, the due diligence portion of the building, the financing, the renovation, the organization of all that, the design team, the, the design of the building itself and the renovations we'll make, all of what's going into our move-in and ways in which that we'll care for the neighborhood there together. It's this great example of all of these very diverse gifts all being used in ways that are absolutely necessary for the health of our, our church as a whole. There, there's another really practical reason though that this is important to recognize the unity and it's this. What recognizing the unity of our body does is push back on that tendency towards envying others. It pushes back on this temptation to fall into some kind of comparison and competition with one another. There's a, uh, there's a great line in the Book of Common Prayer, it's part of an evening prayer and it says this, grant that we may never forget that our common life depends upon each other's toil. That's a great line. And the, the, the beautiful thing about this is that when you grasp this, that you and I don't on our own have all the gifts necessary for the church, then what that does is it gives tremendous freedom because no longer is it all up to you. No longer is it all on your shoulders. Instead, there's this invitation and call to serve with the actual gifts that God has given you. So in order to serve one another, we've gotta recognize that, that, that God has made us one body in Christ and that we're members one of another. So that's our, our second point. Thirdly and finally, we become this kind of community by serving in our diversity, by serving in our diversity. So verse six, 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So one really important point to see in this passage, that these gifts are God-given and that they come by grace. And so, uh, so he's saying that these gifts differ. There's going to be a variety of these gifts, but all of them come from God's grace and by God's grace, which is something that every single Christian has received. Okay, so why is that so important? Well, it's so important because so much of our comparison, so much of our envy comes from this place of having forgotten that these are God-given gifts. In other words, these are not gifts that you somehow manifested in and of yourself. They didn't originate with you. You don't give yourself these gifts. You don't self-gift, right? And so you can and should, and we, we, we can and should cultivate our gifts. We should hone them, we should explore them, but we've gotta remember at the end of the day, these are all still gifts, and they're given for the good of the body, which is why Paul calls us to use them. And so what he does in this final section in verses seven and eight is give a sample of some of these gifts. So this isn't any kind of exhaustive list, and, and we're not gonna dig into to each of them. Part of that's because some of them are, are, are pretty self-explanatory. I wanna mention a couple things, though. One is this. Um, if you look at this list, uh, most of these gifts are, are gifts that the Spirit continues to give today, right? Um, but there's one that, that commentators disagree on, and it's actually the first one on the list. It's at the end of verse 6. It's the gift of prophecy. And so here's the question about this particular gift. Is prophecy just a gift of, of speaking the Word of God prophetically, which is something like what a pastor does from the pulpit, in which case that would be a gift that, that, that's still given to the church. Or is Paul talking here about a gift of, of prophecy that, that actually reveals, that is revelatory? In other words, is this prophecy this direct word-based revelation from God, like the, like the prophecy that Paul refers to in the Old Testament, or that the Old Testament refers to, but also the New Testament prophecy that, that Paul talks about in Ephesians 2.20. He says that the church has built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So he's talking there about this word-based revelatory prophecy. And so uh, I think that he's talking about that kind of prophecy in this passage as well. That this is a, a unique gift given to the church uh, when scripture was still being written. And so because of that, God has stopped giving this gift when the canon of scripture was closed. And so I think that this is the one gift on this list uh, that, that doesn't continue today. There are different views on this. Glad to talk more about it at a different time if you've got questions. So that's one thing to notice about this list. Here's the other thing. I want you to notice how diverse these gifts are. So if you notice, some of them are, are very public. They're the kinds of gifts that you would see used in an upfront kind of setting. And those are specifically teaching and probably certain aspects of leading as well. Others, though, are, are, are more personal, and we might even say interpersonal. This specifically uh, in, in acts of mercy, and, and then also in the gift of exhorting, which also could be translated as encouraging. And some commentators think that this is probably something like what a counselor does. And so you think about that sort of interpersonal uh, dynamic that's at play there. Others of these gifts are largely unseen to any other, anybody else this gift of serving, this gift of giving. And so I, I mention all of that, is that the, the point is that all of these are gifts of God to his church. All of them are gifts from God and all of them are essential. And so here's the obvious application. You have a gift that Trinity needs. 
You have been given a gift by the Lord to use in our particular body here. There is a God-given gift that you possess. So your gifts are vital to the health of our church. But here's the other thing that, that we need to see. Your gifts are not only vital for, for ministry that happens within our church here, your gifts are vital for the ministry of our church to our neighbors and to our city. So we definitely wanna have the right people in the right seats on the bus, right? Because we all experience some sense of greater joy when that happens and a real sense of satisfaction in, in our, when we're using our gifts. But we've also gotta see that our gifts are, are a part of our loving our neighbors well. In other words, th there is a real sense in which your gifts are not for you. And we could even say that they're not even just for the people that are seated around you right now. Your gifts are for your neighbors. And as we move into our new building next year, we need every single member of the body to use their gifts. And we're gonna get more specific with uh, opportunities to do that in the coming weeks and months as we, uh, as we look forward to moving into the building. But what you can do right now is to start using your gifts if you're not already. And so uh, one question that might arise then is, well, how do we do that? Like, how, how can we become aware of our particular gifts? So there, there are a lot of books that you could read on this, uh, a lot of tools you can find. Some of those are really helpful. Honestly, a lot of them are not, right? Um, so here's what I would suggest that I think are a couple of ways that we could go about determining what our gifts are. And one is this, ask someone who knows you well. Ask someone uh, to, what, what they see you gravitating towards, what they see you getting excited about, what they see you, uh, you um, that brings you joy in the way in which you could serve. And, and this could even be something that you discuss in your community groups together. People that, that have known you for a while, where you could ask a question of, what do you think my gifts are? So that's one thing. Here's the other uh, way you can go about figuring this out. And it's to jump in where there is a need right now. And so, uh, Talk to Jeanette and Amy about the needs in children's ministry. Talk to John and Emily about the opportunities to serve in youth ministry. Or talk to Wade or a member of the diaconate about the sorts of things we need on a Sunday in order to do, to do worship together. Talk to Susan and Andy about women's and men's ministry. Talk to someone about what the particular needs in our church are and then jump in on one. And the reason I say that is that it could be that you have a gift that you are completely unaware of. It may be something that, that, you, that doesn't excite you or come to mind right away, and then you step in and begin doing it, and you come alive. Think like, I had no idea that I had such a heart to work with middle school students. I had no idea that I had such a, a, a sense of satisfaction and joy to be a part of setting things up and doing the behind the scenes work that nobody ever sees. You're never gonna know that unless you jump in where there's a particular need, so do that. So let me, uh, let me close, the, close with this. I wanna circle back to uh, something we talked about last week because it's important as we're making our way through these, uh, through these five chapters in Romans to recognize that, that Paul does not give these commands in a vacuum. It can be really tempting to come and think we're just talking all about gifts here and we might have a talk similar like our organization or our business or something, right? Talk about gifts is really important, that's why Paul does it here but none of that is important as the main gift. This main gift of Jesus himself, the one who has given himself for us, and the one who now has gifted us as his people. 
And so in all of this, the way that Paul describes it is to, he says, therefore, I appeal to you uh, in light of the mercies of God, the mercy that has been shown to you in and through Christ is the central gift that's on offer to you. And so the question then for all of us is have we embraced that gift? Have you received that gift? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this great gift of your son. We thank you that in him we have salvation. We thank you that in him we have true life. And Lord, we thank you for the way that you've called us into life together as his body. And so, Father, we pray that uh, you would more and more enable us to recognize our own gifts that you've given and to use them here. And the Lord, that we might see the fruit of, of your work among us, not just here within our own body, though we pray that we would see that, but also that we would see fruit born in our neighborhoods, in our community, in our city more broadly. And we pray this all for the glory of our Savior Jesus and in his name. Amen.